Hello, my name is Taylor Marsh, and welcome to Sacred to Psychic. I'm a thriller writer. My women characters live where there are few safe spaces. I delve in the hidden spaces in the mind, surfing dark shadows. These are themes of disruption, especially when sacred outreach taps psychic portals. This is my playground. Here we go. I thought a long time about how to start this uh, podcast. It's after a cross-country trip from Washington, D.C. and the Eastern Shore all the way out to California, uh, a lot happened. Uh, the coronavirus exploded. Um, and so many other things. And today, I'm uh, doing this podcast on the day that Reverend Al Sharpton just gave the eulogy for a man murdered in Minneapolis named George Floyd. And having grown up in St. Louis, Missouri, although I haven't been there for many, many, many decades, as a young girl growing up, I knew all about racism. When I was in the Miss America pageant way back, <laughs> way back when, uh, during the interview, which was uh, a big part of the contest back in the day, my first interview question in 1974 was, what is your opinion on busing? When they asked me the question, I was 19 years old. I would, I would turn 20 at the pageant. Uh, when I watched the tape of George Floyd, it was incomprehensible to me to see four, three other, one with his knee on the man's neck murdering him and three other white officers watching, doing nothing. So when I finally got internet out here in rural California, which took eight weeks, <laughs> And uh, all this uproar began, and the activists decided to try to change America since nobody in Washington is paying attention who has the power to do something about it. I uh, went back and forth on how to start this podcast. You know, when I talk about sacred to psychic, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about a a process uh, that taught me a new level of creative thinking. And it starts with meditation. Many, most people, many people call it prayer. It can start with prayer. But meditation is more. Meditation is a connection uh, that allows you to go further than, further than, than, book faith, further than ancient texts. It allows you to connect to source yourself through your own experiences, not through ancient holy documents. No matter how important they are, 2,000 years later in a modern society, we need something beyond the Bible or whatever holy text you use that is used to hold people down and constrict their authenticity. 
And I kept thinking how how I was going to start this and, uh, you know, take you all on a road on how to tap your own creati- creativity even deeper with meditation and and also other things. And then this week happened. And I'm going to read something from the Washington Post because it really sets the stage on where we are this week. It's a completely different place than where I started this podcast earlier in the year. The terror that the chief executive feels today wasn't quite there. Now there is a cascade of criticism coming from a group of men, white men, who are instrumental in keeping our democracy alive. Thomas Jefferson talked about the press and freedom of the press, and given, given any choice of the one thing that he'd put into action, he said a free press is the most important. Well, we all know the attacks on the free press. Journalists have been tear-gassed. They have been hit with rubber bullets. They have uh, one, one reporter, female, has been blinded in one of her eyes. Another one has a dent in her forehead. There are too many to name. This is what is happening in Washington, D.C., in America today. But it's gone further. We are at such a dangerous point that we are treading on the separation of church and state. And we had several retired four-star generals come out in the Atlantic, in Foreign Policy Magazine, in the New York Times, I'm sorry, in the Washington Post. The New York Times has taken a different bent. They have decided to uh, publish a cry for a race war from Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, which says, send in the troops. This is not what we do in America, where free speech starts with every American being able to peacefully protest. And I want you to notice that most, uh, that the protests that are happening during the day are peaceful. They were all peaceful until orders were given to attack the peaceful protesters. This came from the highest office in the land. It doesn't matter who it is until this happens. The president has always just been the president. He's this guy, we're all, he's this guy that represents us. Nobody in, in our history has ever taken the power of the presidency this far. I want to read you something. Uh, Ginny Gerbasi is the rector of St. John's Episcopal Church in Georgetown. Uh, She was uh, the rector of St. John's Episcopal Church in Lafayette Square. This is what um, she told a Washington Post editor, Sophia Noyen, on June 3rd. When I arrived in front of St. John's Episcopal Church in Lafayette Square on Monday, bringing granola bars and cases of water, the mood was upbeat. 
I couldn't have imagined the grotesque scene that would unfold hours later, that the police would shove us out of the way with riot shields, pepper balls, and smoke canisters to clear a path for President Trump. It was 4 p.m. by the time I got to the church. People were milling about the St. John's patio, 20 to 30 protesters, who sat on the steps or drank some water, watching the action across the street and 20 clergy and parishioners from churches around the city. Our plan was to be there until 6.30, offering peaceful, prayerful support. A team from Black Lives Matter had set up a first aid area with boxes of bandages and first aid supplies and bottles of eyewash. Demonstrators packed H Street, Lafayette Square, and the end of 16th Street. Heading north of 16th, they were scattered in clumps and, and pairs, carrying signs and chanting, quote unquote, say his name, George Floyd. It wasn't quiet. You could hear cheers from the protests, but it was peaceful. My colleagues and I passed out water and snacks. People exchanged prayers and elbow bumps. Things were so calm that by 6 p.m., most of my colleagues had left. I decided to stay until I could no longer be useful. So did my church's seminarian, Julia, who is also a trauma nurse. The BLM Black Lives Matter, medical folks taught me how to do an eye wash and gave me medical gloves. We waited, hopeful our services wouldn't be needed. The curfew wasn't due to take effect until 7 p.m. But around 6.15 p.m., everything shifted. The crowd tense. The crowd grew tense as police started to move out of the park. Trails of smoke came from Lafayette Square, followed by clouds of acrid smoke billowing through the crowds. People began to run north on 16th Street and onto the St. John's patio, some coming for eyewash, wet paper towels, or water. The first flash grenade rang out, sounding like gunfire, and some people dropped to the ground, thinking the police were shooting. People ran toward us, and, and there was yelling in panic. We called out, water, eyewash. Julie and I were washing out protesters' eyes and feeling it ourselves. I was coughing. Julia's eyes were red, swollen, and tearing. There was a shout that someone was hurt, and Julia ran to help. When she came back, she told me she had seen police on horseback approaching. The seminary team decided it was time to leave. Minutes later, the intensity of the flash grenades and gas clouds increased as the police began pushing protesters out of the park and onto H Street. More people ran in our direction, crying from the smoke and from fear. Someone yelled, rubber bullets! And I looked up from washing someone's eyes to see a man holding his stomach bent over. He moved his arms and I saw marks on his shirt. When I looked over his shoulder, I couldn't believe my eyes. A wall of police in full riot gear were, were physically pushing people off the St. John's patio, maybe 15 away from me, 15 feet away from me. The BLM team, far more experienced than I, said, quote, we've got to go, end quote. They picked up what they could of the medical supplies and quickly dropped back around 30 feet to the north. I was so stunned, all I grabbed was a few water bottles. I was still clutching my bottle of eyewash, and I rushed to join the medical volunteers. What was happening? It's not even 7 p.m., I thought. Why were they doing this? I walked through the crowds. Water? 
I wash and bent over folks, washing eyes or pouring solution on paper towels or handkerchiefs. We got pushed back again. We had not intended to be on the front lines, but police had literally pushed the front lines across the park, then H Street, then the patio to St. John's. More flashes, more smoke, more panic. I ran out of water and found the BLM medical staff at K Street, K Street which was now the quote-unquote back of the line. I gave them the rest of my eyewash bottle. I was scared I had had enough. They were so brave. As I walked to where I'd parked, I could still hear occasional bangs. I peeled off two layers of blue medical gloves and put them in my pocket to throw away later. My phone started to ping. In their messages, colleagues, friends, and family asked where I was and whether the president was really going to speak in front of St. John's. No way, I replied. It's crazy out here. I can still hear it. I got to the car. My sister texted, Ginny, they're showing him on the news right now walking across the park. I drove home. Then Julia texted me, quote, did we really just get gassed for a photo op? End quote. My revulsion was immediate and strong, the reality of what happened sinking in. The president had used military-grade force against, a, against peaceful protesters so he could pose with a Bible in front of the church. I sat in my driveway and wept. Before taking my current position as the rector of St. John's in Georgetown, I had served as assistant rector at Lafayette Square. I understood the symbol of its, of its location, steps away from the White House. It's known as, quote-unquote, the Church of Presidents because every one of them, since it was built in 1816, has prayed there. I've sat in Lincoln's pew and preached to a sitting president. I knew the drill. When the president needed the park cleared, the police set up wooden barriers, sent police cars to block off streets, and stationed officers at key locations to block passers-by. That is what, quote-unquote, clearing the park used to look like. Orderly, gentle, peaceful. Now clearing the park for the president looked like body armor, sounded like gunfire, and burned the back of my throat. There were so many layers of irony and hypocrisy. People were protesting the fact that their government had been enslaving, incarcerating, overlooking, and brutalizing them for generations. And the government brutalized them again. Religious people who were literally wiping away the protesters' tears were driven off the church property with brute force and fear. Also that Trump could use the church as a backdrop and wave the Bible like a prop. It was beyond offensive. It was sacrilege. Monday night, I couldn't sleep. I kept thinking about what had happened and why. I pictured the police advancing and the president holding up our, our sacred book in front of our holy place. I wondered if he had to step over our remaining medical supplies to get just the right photo. I slept as best I could. Then it was a new day. I asked myself, how can I be of a, a force of goodness today? How can I become a force to be reckoned with? And so on Tuesday afternoon, I return to the square. This is what I do now. I want you to close your eyes. 
and I want you to picture the sounds you've been hearing on, your new, on the news, on your favorite program, the sounds of protesters during the day, the sounds of looting, the sounds of right-wing extremists. See the New York Post. See the new, see the bulwark. See these conservative news organizations talking about the truth that is happening instead of what we are getting from the White House, his chosen press secretary, and the Republicans in the United States Senate who disgrace the building in which they work. What did they do earlier this week? They couldn't be bothered. Now there is finally a wall that Trump built, and it's around the People's White House. He spent the weekend in the bunker, terrified. That's what you saw when he walked across Lafayette Square by, by himself with that grim look on his face, thinking he was the big man in, in America. And he walked across that square, and he walked toward St. John's Episcopal Church. He turned and he stood. He fondled the Bible. He gawked at it. He leered at it. He felt its cover. Did he go into the church? No. He doesn't know what to do in a church. And when he went into a Catholic church later in the, later in the day, trying to, or, or the next day, I believe it was, trying to make up for his photo op, he and the first lady stood there and didn't know what to do. They just stood in front of the altar while somebody went in and took a picture of them. It looked like he asked the first lady to smile. She looked like she was about to pass out. Some of you remember the last two podcasts before I, I took the hiatus to move across the country. And I read something from a man who called the Bible the most dangerous book. It's not, it, it's, it's not an evil book. There's nothing evil in it. What is evil is what man does with a holy text that white men have translated to mean their power. Trump fondled the Bible before he held it up as a symbol of the power he has assumed through source that has nothing to do with the power he is inflicting on this country. The Old Testament through Trump is the American carnage. That's what he's delivering. It's what he promised to deliver when he gave his inaugural speech talking about American carnage. He wasn't talking about the past. He was telegraphing a promise to white supremacists, neo-Nazis, domestic terrorists, people from beyond this country, people called Boogaloo Boys, look it up, it sounds just like, except for boys, boys is spelled differently. Look up Boogaloo or see the New York Post. 
three men were arrested, uh, right-wing conspiracy uh, fanatics were arrested in Las Vegas because they were going to uh, turn uh, peaceful protests into riotous events. That's what happens at night. There are uh, innumerable videos of white men and women breaking glass in the dark. That's not to say that some protesters weren't angry. That's not to say there, are, there weren't looters. I lived through the LA riots. I stood downtown and saw the tank come in after Rodney King. What Trump has done is he has allowed the toxic thread that started when we brought black Americans to to this country, black Africans, I'm sorry, excuse me, to this country in 1619 and started building our country after we murdered indigenous people. We have much to be thankful for and we have much to amend because we are all immigrants. What Trump did by holding up that Bible is why I have this podcast. It is why I have written thrillers about psychopathic males and some psychopathic females now, as we see in some of his supporters, some of the women who blindly follow this white supremacist president who is tearing apart this nation, using faith to do it, obliterating the separation of church and state, using military men as his legions, putting God as their mission. They are doing this as righteous warriors for God. No, they're not. They are the demons marauders. This is not what faith is. But over time, for hundreds of years, the white men of this country have used it to keep down women, to create a society where they've held the power, and they intended to keep it a white country, which was laughable considering all the different races and mixes of people that have made this country great and have fought and died for this country. What he has done by holding that Bible is to assert God's power from the Oval Office. It is not only sacrilege, it's anti-American. It is the most dangerous thing I've seen in my life, and I lived through the 60s as a very young teenager. But I also watched Nixon get reelected, the law and order president. Women can't fall for this. There is less law and order. There is less law with a lawless president. Tony Schwartz wrote a piece well, Tony Schwartz is the ghost, uh, uh, ghost writer of Trump's um, The Art of the Deal. And he says that 
Trump has been involved in over 1,500 lawsuits. Right now, Donald Trump is scared to death his presidency is over. And I can tell you that the Trump era is over. I'm not sure how long it will take us to get him and his enablers out of Washington, D.C., out of uh, your local city council. I'm not sure how long it'll take. It'll take a while, especially after, after the stunt that Tom Cotton pulled, talking about send in the troops. It's not a mistake that Trump's military men now guarding the White House are prison guards out of Texas, brought in by William Barr, his attorney general. Because Attorney General Barr remembers well what happened to Nixon. He's part of that whole Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney triumvirate that felt that Nixon should not have been impeached. And so they want to make the the executive branch stronger. The executive branch has never been stronger than it is today. Look at the Congress. Uh, With gerrymandering, with the, the amount of money in our politics, This country, the idea of America, is in jeopardy. I never thought I'd say that. I have family members who voted for Trump. I know about this. I've lived in rural America. The other half of my life, I've lived in big cities. Los Angeles, New York City, close to Washington, D.C., Las Vegas. It's it's like Vatican City. That's what... Attorney General William Barr wants to make it a place where the, the, the executive, the president, cannot be touched, can never be questioned, can never be investigated, can never be impeached, even though it's in the Constitution. These are anti-constitutional moves that these men, these white men and white women, Whatever party they are, they are Trumpists. The Republican Party no longer, no longer exists. We are in trouble. He, is, he has taken our faith and put the weapons of war and oppression underneath the Bible that he is holding, and he is saying, I am God's general. This is a... Uh, this is an 11 alarm fire. I have been saying uh, for a long time that the system is held, the system is held, and we're still on the path. With Attorney General Barr cordoning off Washington, D.C., around the, the area around the White House, he has turned it into an enclave of power, of white power, at a time when we still don't know who, what happened with Brianna Taylor's m- murder? What happened with Brianna, who was killed in her bed? We learned today more, more about the, the men that were um, Ahmed Aubrey's killers, that he, he was hit with a truck, and they called him a F.N., after they killed him. 
Our president is inciting this violence. Are you hearing me? I had no idea when I started this podcast. Trying to take faith back for women, for me as a woman. That it doesn't, faith isn't just the Bible or whatever holy book you have. That is a conduit. It is a, it is a cable. It is a portal. Organized religion is a portal to source, to God. What you can do beyond that, you can do in the silence of your own meditation and your own prayers. I'm going to read you something else, and it is from Tony Schwartz. He wrote a piece, The Psychopath-in-Chief, on Medium. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I've gone down this road already. My, my, my thriller, Citizen Kate, is in the post-Obama era. It is after Trump, and there is a new president. And he took a page from Trump, and he ripped up the stupidity of what Trump has done. What Trump actually has allowed... And the good news about Trump is he finally has stripped off the facade of all these uh, religious evangelical politicians who are using faith to change this country so that only, it only represents white males and women and people of color are their servants. That's how they use the Bible. Your power does not come from that great book or any great book. Your power comes because you are part of source. You have a bit of source in you. You are the explosion of the Big Bang. You are a cosmic miracle. We all are. And we have tethers beyond the veil. When you pray to God, you're not praying to a, a man in a book or a man with a beard or a white man who was crucified. You're praying to an energy source greater than all others, a source so, so powerful that if everyone joins together in peace and in love for equality for one another, that we are all equal, that this country is for all, that we have a separation, that our religion is not a call to battle, whatever religion you are. I'm Episcopalian, fallen, because I'm a rebel, and my church is my meditation. But I love the ritual of the Episcopal Church. And there's a reason that that, re that rector talked about her church like she did and talked about how blasphemous, how sacrilegious it was what Trump did because she is not ruled by any man, any president, no person of faith is ruled by anyone. You have a choice on your faith, and it's deeper than your religious affiliation. 
organized religion has cut that off. And the reason I wrote Citizen Kate is because I was compelled to. Because I had to, see, I had to have people see that these people who, who try to say that people like me, independent, liberated women, are not righteous because we don't respect their authority. These men, these white women, are doing a disservice to us all. A psychopath can be a corporate leader. A psychopath can be a teacher. It can be a priest, as we saw in the Catholic Church. It's psychopathy that makes priests abuse boys and girls. It's not just pedophilia. It's psychopathy. Psychopathy is prevalent in modern society because we are godless, because we worship a God that is not peaceful and love. We worship the God of war, as Trump represents. Psychopathy, no remorse, cannot feel anyone's pain, arrogant, narcissistic, homicidal. That is critical. A psychopath is homicidal because they fear their own demise by the threat of someone else, Trump. The psychopathy that grabs him has been on display from the beginning. But now, because when a psychopath is cornered, they annihilate everything around them for their own survival. And what he feels, the threat he feels in losing the presidency is what could happen January 22nd of 2021 when he's no longer protected by William Barr and the wall around the White House. Here's a quote from The Psychopath-in-Chief by Tony Schwartz. Imagine, if you can, not having a conscience, none at all, no feelings of guilt or remorse, no matter what you do, no limited sense of concern for the well-being of strangers, friends, or even family members. Imagine no struggles with shame, not a single one in your whole life, no matter what kind of selfish, lazy, harmful, or immoral action you had taken. You can do anything at all, and you still and still your strange advantage over the majority of people who are kept in line by their consciences will most likely remain undiscovered. How will you live your life? What will you do with your huge and secret advantage? That quote was from Martha Stout, the sociopath next door. Now, people talk about sociopaths all the time. Well, sociopaths would be someone who has all the traits of a psychopath and stops short of murder or ruining a life, like in jail. When you have cops killing, beating protesters, black or white, that's psychopathy. It's rage, but it's psychopathy. We have a problem with how we choose our cops how we choose our leaders. 
This is real. This is not a drill. The President of the United States gassed peaceful protesters because he wanted the spectacle on camera so he could walk in as the quote-unquote law and order president. He's the first president to use the mechanisms of war on his own citizens. When Nixon went out of the White House to talk to protesters, he talked to them one-on-one and wasn't afraid. He's a weak man who is using religion to keep his most faithful close. The problem is it backfired. The horror of him molesting the Holy Bible while his military heads of the Department of Defense and the military walk through like puppets. Secretary Esper of the DOD said, I didn't know where I was going. That's not a quote, but it's close. How in the world does the SECDEF walk out with a president in the middle of what's going on in this country and not know what's going to happen, let alone with Millie next to him in, in fatigues, strutting. It was obscene. This is why I wrote Citizen Kate, why the, the discussion about Mary is in one of the first chapters. One, of my, one, one reader said, you know, wrote that um, no president would watch torture and condone it. This is how delusional some people in this country are about where we are right now. What do you call torture? George Floyd, was that torture? Did you see it? That's why in a chapter I explained how Dr. Kate Winner, the the psychic profiler, the, the lead character, how she became psychic, how it happens, that it's a connection and spirit talks to you. It's not crazy. Ever heard of Abraham Hicks? Teresa Caputo? The Hollywood medium? Phenomena exist. There is more magic in this world than exists in a Bible that can be extorted and used against us. I don't know where we'll go from there on the, from here on this podcast. I, I, I don't intend to make this political. I love this country. My uncle fought in the Korean War. I watched him go from a, a dandy soldier to a man with PTSD. Back then it was called battle fatigue. I was a tiny, tiny kid when I saw him. Collapsed. A shell of a man. My brother is a Marine. He was waiting in the United States and would have, been, uh, would have been one of the first soldiers to land in Cuba if things had gone different during the Bay of Pigs. I had other relatives enlist. But military is never supposed to be mixed with protesters. The U.S. military must stay 
protectors of the citizenry. The minute the military starts fighting with American citizens, we're lost. We've lost our compass. That's why, God bless him, General Mattis stood up. Mike Mullen stood up. Millie finally crawled back to respectability. And uh, I think his name John Allen. Yes, John Allen. John Allen wrote in Foreign Policy today an amazing, I didn't get a chance because I was so upset today, I didn't get a chance to read from it, but he, uh, John Allen is a retired, is the retired Marine Corps uh, four-star general that was the former commander of NATO International Security Assistance Force and the U.S. forces in Afghanistan. He wrote uh, in Foreign Policy a moment of national shame and peril and hope. We may be witnessing the beginning of the end of American democracy, but there is still a way to stop the dissent. And I'll read one, one sentence before I sign off. Quote from John Allen. The slide of the United States into illiberalism may well have begun on June 1st, 2020. Remember the date. It may well signal the beginning of the end of the American experiment. Register, vote. The rest is up to us. You've been listening to Sacred to Psychic. I'm Taylor Marsh. You can reach me at www.taylormarsh.com. And remember, it's not fate, it's your choices.